Welcome to the Kingsley Grant Show, the podcast dedicated to helping you become the leader everyone loves and wants to follow. Kingsley believes his leadership paradigm, emotelligence, the art of succeeding where others failed, is the key to achieving this status. On this show, Kingsley guides you through the uncharted waters of emotional intelligence and leadership essentials, with the guarantee that upon exit, you will become more skilled in relationship management, decision-making, and job performance. Now here's your host, your coach, and your Sherpa, Kingsley Grant. Here we go, here we go, here we go. This is your boy, Kingsley Grant, behind the Jamaican microphone, bringing you yet another show. Today, I am coming to you from the command center of the Immortelligent Leadership Institute, where I am in an undisclosed location because I'm written into the vault of where I have stacks and stacks of the resources that I have, especially for you. They are selected. So today, I'm going to reach as right now into the vault. Okay, I've, I, I've got it. Uh, yeah, let me put that down here. All right, we've got it. We've got it. And on today's show, we are going to tackle something that I find I see pretty often. And that is a quote about, about people don't leave bad jobs. They leave bad bosses. As a matter of fact, recently I gave a talk to a, a group of the Chamber of Commerce business people. And in my slide deck, I included that very thought because I was, I mean, sorry, that very quote, I was sharing about how emotional intelligence separates leaders from bosses or managers and the importance of making sure that you were leading in an emotionally intelligent way. The word I use, obviously, is immortelligent, and that people who are immortelligent leaders make better leaders, people who want to follow them. And I recently wrote an article in my LinkedIn post as of this recording, which is in in October. And if you go to my LinkedIn and you follow me on LinkedIn, I hope you do. But if you go on to my LinkedIn profile, you will see the post that I have there. I have a graphic that says, people do not follow leaders. They follow what they see in leaders. And one of the comments that really kind of spoke or kind of um, underscore the thought was that people's perspective and perception of a leader makes the world of a difference. And that is so true. You know, my friend, Rob from from Paris, actually, Robertson, he's the one who made that comment, and he was a guest on my show, one of my episodes. You can find that in the in the um in the show, the archives, basically talking about toxicity in the workplace. And and so he mentioned that the idea of people's perception and and um in the workplace of their leader makes a difference. And you know that perception becomes our reality, right? What people perceive and and somehow, whether it's right or not, the point is what they see and what they hear is what they use to conclude about a person. But I find that we see in people 
things sometimes that may not necessarily be true, but we still see them and we make our decision based upon what we've seen in them, right? Am I correct? Isn't that how sometimes you make your, your you come to a conclusion, right? And then we, it, it's up to the leader to find a way to prove us wrong or, you know, to confirm what it is we, we have seen. So today I'm going to talk about the seven hidden reasons why people leave a bad boss and not a great leader and what you can do about it, okay? Now, I, I must say that what the these seven reasons came, um, came out of my um, John Maxwell's most recent book, actually his updated, let's put, put it that way, his updated version of his book that he wrote over 25 years ago, The Leader Within You, but this one is The Leader Within You 2.0. And he talks about, he gave, you know, he described seven bosses, what the seven bosses do, and what leaders, and I just put great leaders, right, would do. So I'm going to go through and list them. So these are not original with me. I want to mention that. But they came out of that book. But I'm going to add my own comments, my own surrounding thoughts, on these seven reasons. So I'm going to use his seven reasons and mention them, but I'm going to, my thoughts are, are simply mine based upon my Emotelligent Leadership book and my thoughts around emotional intelligence in leadership. So that's where we're going to go with that. So are you ready? Let's kind of go now and dig into these seven hidden reasons why people leave a bad boss, but not a great leader and, and what you can do about becoming the greater leader yourself. Okay, here we go. So the the first thought, and and this could be in any order, right? But the first one that he had listed was bosses drive workers, great leaders, or when I say great leaders, he did not put great leaders. I'm adding that part. He just put leaders. So when I say great leaders, imagine if you read the read the book, you won't find great leaders. You will just see leaders. But I want to emphasize that here in this this episode. So bosses drive workers. Great leaders coach them. Now, I, I as a coach myself, I know what it takes to to coach other people because it requires. Patience, it requires great listening skills. It requires not trying to tell people what to do by advising them, but pulling the best out of people. And you can see why bosses, they really don't have time for this. They, they are so task-oriented and, and bottom-line-oriented that they are, they're driving. They believe that the people ought to be pushed and, and kind of driven. It's almost like driving a herd of animals. And some bosses are that way. Because what happened is they've not yet learned the, the secret behind people motivation, right? How do you motivate people? They have not learned that. And, and sometimes it's not the boss's fault. It's, it's those who put a person in position as a boss, and as you've heard me say, if you've listened to my podcast for some time, that people have been promoted to a boss position who really should not be given that position. It gets to their head, number one, right? And, and number two, it kind of puffs them up. Pride sets in. And they they want to distinguish that they are now the boss, right? 
And because they're the boss, they want to make sure that you understand that, you get it. You know, I, I was talking to someone recently, and the person was sharing with me how they really kind of pushed back and resented their their boss in that almost every other paragraph in the person's in that person's communication with them, they had to punctuate the fact that they were the boss. Don't forget, they would say, Don't forget, I am the manager, right? I'm the boss. And they want to make sure this person got it as if they never did. And so it's almost like this person said to me, Kingsley, whenever they mention that, it's like, oh, really? Do you have to mention that one more time? I I get it by now. But it's that person was trying to drive them to do the work. And so what's, what bosses do? Great workers, on the other hand, will coach, will take the time to pull the best out of that person. Guess who will be, get better results? Hands down, of course, the great, the, the leader who does that, who coaches rather than drives. Number two, bosses depend on authority. Great leaders depend on goodwill. Now, this kind of ties into some degree with number one, because bosses, they try to lead from a positional a title place, a, a place, a position or a title, right? So like my example, I mentioned the person that I spoke to, that person was using their, their, was leveraging their authority given to them because of the position that they were handed and the title they were given. You know, I, I admire someone I see on, on LinkedIn and this person, you know, on their, their profile, they put their name and, and beside their name is, um, I don't use my title because they basically are saying they don't want a title to get in the way of how people interact with them. And this person is seen as an influencer and they didn't want the title that they that they do have, right? A very important title to, to get in the way. You know, I, I look at sometimes, you know, um, people's profile again on LinkedIn and when you pull up their profile and try to tag them on something, you cannot just tag their first name because it will erase everything. They tie their first name into their title. And so whatever the title is, doctor so-and-so, bishop so-and-so, you know, whatever it is, president so-and-so, that has to be showcased. Now, it you know, I don't know if the person did it intentionally or someone did it for them. But I, I get it. Yeah, you've earned that title or been given that title. But do you have to flaunt that? Does everybody have to see it every single time they type your name in? You know, one of my my mentors that I've not actually met, but I've, I see him as a mentor because he is the one was who kind of set me on the pathway of doing the research towards my book and writing my book on Immortelligent Leader. He's one of the persons, but one of the, the first person, I should say, and that's Dr. Daniel Goleman, who wrote the book on emotional intelligence, why it matters, why it can matter more than IQ, right? You remember that book? It was a, a groundbreaking book, a bestseller. It's been translated in different languages, but it's almost like one of the foundational books. It was the book that basically brought emotional intelligence to the marketplace, right? But if you go on LinkedIn, which I am, and I, I follow him, and when I type in his name, it just says Daniel Goldman. 
And, and and I again, I don't know if that was intentional or he just happened to be that way or he chose. I don't know. But the very fact that I see it, that he's not making a big to-do of his title of Dr. Daniel Goldman, it, it speaks volumes to me, right? And, and so some bosses, because of their position on their title, they leverage, they seek to leverage that. Not necessarily for the best for the, the good the best of the, the employees, the people they are leading, but it's to it's almost like to serve themselves and get a result they're looking for, right? And, and that's why I talk about promotions within the workplace. It should not be based upon a person's performance in a lower capacity. That alone should not somehow um, qualify them to be a leader. I mean, to a, be a boss, right? It should not qualify them because of the tenure in the company, because they could be the worst person. You know, one of my favorite um, authors, of course, is uh, the, the the Solomon, the wisest man who ever lives, who authored in the Bible Proverbs and Songs of Solomon and so on, right? And one thing he mentioned is like he said one of the danger is is when a slave, and of course, slave was something very very common to their time, when a slave became a leader. So watch out. That person is can be, could be sometimes the most cruel person that there was, there is, because of that position they've been pushed into, and now they're going to leverage and utilize that to their own advantage or to their own selfish ambition and goals at the expense of those who they're leading. So bosses depend on authority. Great leaders depend on goodwill. They depend upon the relationships they built. In my book, The Immortalligent Leader, Succeed Where Others Failed, I talk about the immortalligent leader. What separates him or her is that he or she follows the idea of stewardship. So one of the chapters is entitled Leadership is Stewardship, right? And another is Leadership is Partnership. And another is Leadership is Relationship. Those three are the basically foundational elements of, of good leadership, of great leaders. They take the time to build relationship with the people they're leading. They take the time to partner with them. They take the time to steward them, meaning that to care for and nurture those relationships. That's what, excuse me, that's what good leaders do. And that's why I think, you know, John Maxwell mentioned great leaders or leaders depend on goodwill. They depend upon the relationship, the rapport they have built with their people. That is what generates motivation and excitement and helps and wants, gives people a reason to be there and want to be there and want to produce, right? Number three, bosses inspire fear. Great leaders inspire enthusiasm. That kind of goes Again, it dovetails right into where I mentioned number two. I mean, number two kind of dovetail into this one, right? Because you inspire people because of, of um, the relationship, right? To in, create, to allow them to to release their passion in the workplace and to be enthused about coming to work is not going to come through fear. You know, I talk about this. Before and I actually in my LinkedIn I I um, posted this because I saw a video of a little boy who was uh, waiting. I'm sorry, a little girl, three years old, waiting for her brother every day. She's at the bus stop, I guess, with her parent, waiting for her little brother to get off the bus and cross over to where she was. And she enthusiastically waited. You could tell her the excitement. She is jumping. 
She's happy. Her whole body is showing, you know, her body language is saying, I can't wait until he crosses the street and get to me. You know, little kids, the excitement, their jittery and all that stuff. She's showing all of that. And the little boy, when he gets across the street, you could see her. She just run and jumped into his arms and he grabbed her, picked her up and crossed the street and they're just hugging each other. And I posted that to say, imagine the workplace was like that. Imagine that that's the way a, a person who was an employee looked forward to seeing a leader, not necessarily to show that kind of affection, right? Because you would need to have certain boundaries and um, you get that. But the, the idea is just the, the attitude, the posture, the, 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 I can't wait to go to work. I can't wait to, to get on the same page with my boss and, and my leader and we're working on something together, right? I, that's what is enthusiasm. And where did, where did that come from? It came because that leader inspired that. That leader positioned the relationship with their employee that they wanted to be there to do that kind of stuff. Bosses who drive by fear, you think of a boss who seemed to kind of, um, you know, stoke fear in their people, thinking that is a way to get them to do stuff. People resent that and they push back and they'll do just enough, but no more. So you will not get maximum performance, optimal performance from your people when you're driving with fear. So if you want to be that the great leader, then you want to inspire through relationship, right? Inspire through rapport, inspire through how you communicate and how you listen. That is how you inspire enthusiasm in your people. Number four, bosses say, I. So the reason why people leave bad bosses, these bosses are saying I, rather than say what great leaders say is we, right? So bad bosses are that boss try to take credit for things that happens. Now, they do it when things happen well, goes well, but they're the first person to throw others under the bus when things don't go well. And, and so they will say, yeah, yeah, I led my team. You know, I, I gave them that idea. I gave them the suggestions. I put this together. It was my idea. It was, you know, you see where I'm going with that? It's almost I, my, but great leaders say we. You know, I, I watch sometimes some sports events and at the end of a game when that team has won, um, especially at a championship level, when they've won the in the football, Super Bowl, right? Uh, in basketball, they've won the national championship. And, and what you see great leaders do, they will immediately drive attention to uh, the most valued player or the team and the hard work that we did, they'll say. You will hear the, they, them using the word we and our, us, more than me and my and I, right? So bosses who who say or make it about them and take credit for almost everything that was done, people resent that and they leave that kind of boss. And sometimes the bosses don't even know that. When I gave my talk to this group of 
the Chamber of Commerce of leaders, you know, business owners. I, I say the sad part about sometimes when people leave uh, a bad boss, the bad boss don't even know why they left. And, and most, and sometimes, not most, but sometimes, those bad bosses are so clueless, they will point to other reasons like, oh, you know, they just can get along with other people. And they'll make it about everything else but themselves. They are even so blinded that they don't even realize that people are leaving them, not the company, not the organization. But I'm assured, I assure you, they're going to point out to others' problems, others' faults, others' deficits, why they're leaving, not themselves. So great leaders find ways to say we and us and our. And if you want to aspire to be a great leader and have people want to be where you are, and follow you, begin by using the words us and we and our more than I and me and my and see what happens. So bosses who say I a lot and use that and make sure you know that they're the, the, the genius behind all these things, it won't be long that they won't have anybody around them. They are not going to retain their best workers, I guarantee they will have their leftovers who may have no other options or alternatives and they stay but they stay at what cost to the organization, right? Number five, bosses fix the blame for any breakdown. Great leaders fix the breakdown. What's the difference, Kingsley? Well, you think about it this way. Bad bosses or our bosses on the whole, they're trying to pin the breakdown on the where the blame lies, right? So they'll find... Who is, to be, who is to blame? What is to blame? Why is it this happened? And they're looking for something or someone to blame for the breakdown. And then they're trying to fix that, right? It's almost like fixing the, the, the bandage on the wound and kind of, you know, let's put a, a new bandage on. Let's turn the bandage another way. Let's retake the bandage. Let's kind of, you know, that's what they're fixing, but they're not fixing the problem, the wound that's at play. What great leaders do is they look for what the breakdown is. What is the breakdown? What is the breakdown that led to what has the results of what you're experiencing? And then they fix the breakdown. They fix the wound. They try to treat the wound and not try to treat and fix the bandage. Now, yes, you want to put the bandage on properly, but you look at the wound is it healing? Is it being treated? Because if you don't treat the wound, you know, the healing is going to be slowed down or if at all, it is ever going to be a healing. You know, I, I recently watched a movie that I, I don't remember the name of it. I remember it though, the guy who played the the the, um, the main main role in the movie, he was trying to fire a gun and he wasn't really a gun person. He never used a gun that much. And you know, sometimes, well, if you ever fired a gun, some of these guns can have what's called a kickback. And it was a Glock 45, I think of a millimeter, something like that, I think it was. And what happened was when he fired it, the Glock, the gun kicked back and his where his hand was holding the trigger and where his right, his thumb, his thumb was I'm trying to say trigger and thumb at the same time. You try to see what happens. <laughs> so where his thumb was, that it 
in between his if the finger beside the, the thumb is where it was cut. And that cut took forever to heal. As a matter of fact, throughout the whole movie, it showed that it never was healed. And he did all kinds of stuff in the, mean, in, the, in the interim when it happened to the end of the movie. And he kept on changing the bandages. But when he would lift up the bandage, you would see that the, the wound was still raw and still being, you know. And at the end, towards the end of the movie, he finally began to put some stuff on the wound itself. You know, began to treat the wound itself rather than just put the bandage on that. What bosses do, they do the very same thing. They keep on changing the bandage or fixing the bandage around, but the wound is not being healed. Good leaders find a way to heal the wound by putting the treatment on the wound itself, fix the breakdown, the problem. Okay, that's number five. So let's see how we're doing so far. Number one, bosses drive workers, great leaders coach them. How are you on that? How do you see yourself? How would you grade yourself in this, number one? Number two, bosses depend on authority. Great leaders depend on goodwill. Number three, bosses inspire fear. Great leaders inspire enthusiasm. Number four, bosses say I. Great leaders say we. So how are you doing so far? All right. Number five, bosses fix the blame for any breakdown. Great leaders fix the breakdown. Number six, bosses know how it is done. Great leaders show how. You speak to managers or bosses, right? They will tell you about how things are being done. They will, you know, tell you how to do things. And, you know, one of my chapters in my book, The Immortalizant Leader Succeed Where Others Failed, I talk about, you know, of course, the seven essential traits, and I mentioned three earlier, but another one is leadership is mentorship, right? So I mentioned earlier, leadership is stewardship, leadership is relationship, leadership is partnership, and then another chapter is leadership is mentorship. And I, I talk about the fact that um, intelligent leaders who are great leaders, what they do is mentor their people. They just don't tell them how it is done, like what some bosses do. And when you tell people how things is done, how things are done, what happened is, number one, they're they're going to be frustrated when they can't do it, and they're going to feel like if they're stupid and they're treated that way, right? And, and they will are, they have no frame no um, frame of reference because they may have never seen it done before. And so bad bosses or just bosses in general will tell people, yeah, you go do it now and tell them. But how does it work out? How does it fear for that employee? Am I setting that person up? Is that person being set up for success or failure? I would say the latter. When you're telling people, yeah, how it's done, what if you show them? You remember I said earlier about great leaders, how they coach and it takes time and, and patience. This is where it's at, is mentorship. And I talk about the four, you know, if you read the book, you will see where I, where I shared and I outlined four things that mentors do well. And great leaders do those things in mentorship. You know, in my presentation at this event, as I was a keynote speaker and was sharing about, I mentioned before, 
how that one differentiator between great leaders and just leaders who succeed and those who fail was emotional intelligence. I, I shared about the fact that um, where uh, the mentorship aspect of things and how that people who took the time to mentor their people. And then I shared about some may have this kind of, um, you know, hesitancy is because not only insecurity, but also they're they're thinking, you know, what if I train and mentor this person and spend all this time and then the person leaves? Now, I say, yes, that's a very valid concern and it's a risk. But then I share with how, you know, what a true leader or great leader or a multi-agent leader would say is, what if I don't train them or mentor them or coach them and they stay? What then happens? Now I'm stuck with somebody who's just been around, taking up space, right? But then they're not performing well. So I'm frustrated. Maybe have to pick up the slack or put that on other people. And morale is an uh, issue now becomes a, you know, morale becomes a problem. So you can imagine what happens. So then mentoring and showing them is what great leaders do. They just don't know how it's done and tell people how it's done. They show them. They mentor them. And number seven is bosses say go. Great leaders say let's go. This kind of ties in with number four about leaders say we and us and, and ours, right? Bosses who are just saying, hey, you go do that. You go and make it work. You go, right? They may not use that word necessarily, but they're in a sense saying that. What great leaders do says, hey, come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's go do it. And that's what even number six does is the showing the mentorship idea. It's us. Let us kind of do it. Now, I'm not saying a great leader ought to spend all his or her time, you know, doing the very thing that, you know, why would you be doing the work of your, your employee? You don't need two of you then if that's the case, Right. So what happened is you mentor them and then let them go. And that's why in my book on mentorship, you know, the last idea is, you know, the two last parts of that quadrant of mentorship is about now releasing that person to go do it and you watch them. And then you release them to go and show somebody else how it's done. And the cycle is started all over again. So yes, it takes some time up front in the let's go aspect. Let's go do it. And sometimes it's just a, a um, you know, a cheerleader approach. It's a believing in your people approach. That could be also part of that. It's not necessarily you doing the work for them, but you doing it with them and then just kind of step back and watch them do it and release them to, to go and, you know, because you're believing in them. You're saying to them that why not, trust you to do it. You know, it was Steve Jobs who said, you know, one of the crazy things that we do as leaders, we hire these incredible people around us for their skill sets and their aptitude and all of those things. And then we micromanage them by telling them what to do. So how crazy is that? We should have them tell us what to do because we are st- we're stifling them. We're suffocating them. And, and no wonder, you know, you know, our superstars, our best people will leave because they're frustrated as a result of that. So this is what great leaders do. So let's go 
And that could be, again, it could be the coach on the sideline just believing in their team and, and cheerleading them and, and speaking positive words over them. That's also part of this as well. And that's, these are the differences, my friend, between great leaders and just bad bosses or bosses, period. And so the seven hidden reasons that are outlined, you know, and I'm and just put the word hidden there because sometimes these are hidden and a boss may not realize what's happening and and people are leaving around them and they're wondering why, why they're leaving. But hey, if the common denominator in all of this is that boss, hello, that's the reason why they're leaving. So the quicker they can come to understand this and take responsibility, the better it is. So let me give you then, again, real quickly, the seven hidden reasons why people leave a bad boss, but not a great leader, and what you can do differently are these. Number one, bosses drive workers, great leaders coach them. Number two, bosses depend on authority, great leaders depend on goodwill. Number three, bosses inspire fear, great leaders inspire enthusiasm. Number four, bosses say I, great leaders say we. Number five, bosses fix the blame for any breakdown, great leaders fix the breakdown. Number six, bosses know how it is done, great leaders show how it's done. And number seven, bosses say go, great leaders say let's go. You see why then people leave a bad boss who do these seven things that I just seven um, reasons I gave. You see why people don't leave bad companies or leave companies, they leave bad bosses. This is the reason why. And sometimes these bosses don't even realize. So the question is, which are you? A boss or a leader? Let me ask another question. Are you a great leader? And here's the question, here's the thing. If you're not, you can become such by practicing these things that we outlined today. And also get in my book, The Immortelligent Leader. That is where you'll find really the seven essential, essential traits of great leaders or immortelligent leader, right, is outlined in that book. So get that book. It's available on Amazon and it will help to kind of um, underscore some of what I said today in a different way, of course, through a different lens and filter, but you'll see it kind of come to the same conclusion that to be a great boss or, I'm sorry, a great leader, which I call an immortelligent leader who succeeded where others failed, you've got to practice these things. Hey, I would love to hear from you to see what your thoughts are and how this is going for you. So make sure that you are interacting with me and you're engaged with me. And one of the best places to do that is on LinkedIn. And you can follow me there at just at Kingsley Grant. So once again, on LinkedIn, type in my name, you can find me, send me a request and follow me and I'll be happy to follow you back. So I look forward to that interaction there and uh, share this with somebody else. Okay. But if you also are on another platform, I'm also on other platforms as well. Uh, same name, Kingsley Grant, K-I-N-G-S-L-E-Y, Grant. You can find me there as well. And uh, don't forget to get the book on Amazon at um, The Immortelligent Leader Succeed Where Others Failed. Okay? My friend, I want to say thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to this show today. I really appreciate this. And I can't tell you thank you enough. 
And if you are on Apple Podcasts, please, would you leave me a, a review there as well? I would love to hear from you what your thoughts are on how this show is benefiting you. And that's a great way for me to know that it actually is. So with that said, my friend, remember this, that you are one skill away from your best hope. Okay? One skill. So let's put this show back into the vault and secure it so it's, 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 it's um, in a safe place. So here we go. Help me do that right now. Help us. Let us do it together. Here we go. There it is, my friend. I've just demonstrated what a great leader should do. Okay, I'm not saying that I am, but I'm demonstrating what that is by saying, let us do it together. I hope you heard the emphasis on that making a point. So now I can exit the command center of the Immortelligent Leadership Institute and re-engage myself in the marketplace. So thank you again for listening. With that said, my friend, you know, you know the drill. Peace out. God bless. And I'll see you on the flip side. Yeah.